Good morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be uh, just taking a, a brief look at discipleship uh, as we usually do between uh, our equipping hour series. Next week we're going to start uh, a new series for equipping hour. It's going to be looking at God's perfect word. So it should be a, a sweet time as we look at uh, the word of God. It's, it's a study in bibliology. So uh, just so that you know, the, the intent behind uh, this, at least the first half of this year, uh, I want to do uh, this topic of bibliology, and then after that, we're going to have a long series in Equipping Hour on hermeneutics, how to study God's Word. Uh, and so the desire is that you would be equipped, that we would be equipped as a church together um, to handle God's Word rightly to rightly divide it, um, whether it's in our own lives, our own times in the Word uh, daily, uh, to get the most out of it, or if it's uh, with a disciple that we're mentoring, uh, or if it's in the context of ministry, teaching ministry, or any other kind of ministry, we always need to be guided by God's Word. So this is going to really help us to uh, understand God's Word, to be able to come to a passage and know what God has, uh, has for us in his word and know what God expects of us in response to it as well. So I'm looking forward to this year uh, together. It should be a wonderful time as we look at God's word and we just uh, get so much out of it. Uh, but this morning we're going to be looking at discipleship and we're going to be uh, looking at this, this uh, topic. The title of, of the message or the, the, the lesson this morning is what are we making? What are we making? And this comes from uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where Christ in the Great Commission, where he comes to his disciples uh, after having been crucified, buried, and uh, resurrected from the dead, he comes to his disciples at the very end of Matthew, and he gives them their mission statement, he gives them their their command, and through them us. And the command is. Here in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what are we making? The answer is we're making disciples. And that's the vision of this church. That's, that's our statement as a church, is that we exalt Christ by making disciples. You want to bring Christ's glory in your life? This is step one. Make disciples. This is the primary command for the church and for the Christian. So when, when Christ says, make disciples, what does that mean? What is a disciple? What are we trying to make then? If we are trying to make disciples, if we are to fulfill this command to make disciples, what are we making well, first of all, this morning, we want to see what, uh, what a disciple isn't. And that's your first point this morning. Know what a disciple isn't, is not. Let's look at John chapter 6, verse 60. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? This is in the context of uh, 
Jesus giving a, a difficult statement of, of you must, if you want to follow me, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? And so when people hear that, when, when the disciples uh, heard this, it was a difficult statement. Now notice the word here, disciple. The disciples that are called here are the ones who had a difficult time listening to uh, this command by Christ. And then a few verses later in, in, chapter, in chapter 6, verse 66, look at what it says. As a result, many, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. It's interesting, isn't it? These disciples, quote-unquote, the same ones who had a difficult time accepting what Christ had to say are the same ones that walked away from Christ. So is that what a disciple is? Is that what we're trying to make? Somebody who can uh, accept the teachings of Scripture or not, follow Christ or not? Is that what we're trying to accomplish, these kinds of people? Is that what we're called to be? Well, a disciple is, <coughs> excuse me, is not simply someone who follows a teacher around learning from them. This is how this word is used here in John chapter 6, just as somebody following somebody around. A disciple was a synonym at times for follower. And there were many people who followed Jesus around, listening to his messages. Great crowds of people, many, quote-unquote, disciples. However, much of those crowds couldn't stomach what Jesus was saying. And they even turned away so that they would not walk with him anymore. So a disciple is not somebody with a loose affiliation to Christ. A disciple is not somebody who just, to put it in today's context is not somebody who shows up to church. That is not a disciple. You can equate what these people were doing with somebody who casually attends a local church. Is that a disciple? No. According to scripture, these are not true disciples. These people fell away. They rejected Christ. A true disciple of Christ cannot reject him and, and walk away from the Lord. Let's look at one more verse to learn what a disciple is not. It says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So a disciple is, is not uh, this second version of a Christian that is a, a, a more committed Christian. Okay? What a disciple is not, is not a more committed Christian. That is not what we are talking about when we talk about making disciples, or even for us to be a disciple of Christ. It is not just somebody more committed than others. Okay? If this were so, there would be two classes of Christians, right? The, the haves and the haves nots, right? The 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 Committed and the committed not, right? The committed and the, and the casual, you could say. 
For those who are Christian, uh, but not a quote-unquote disciple, not a, not a, not a uh, more committed Christian, this would mean that they have Jesus as their Savior, but not as their Lord. But in order to be saved from your sins, in order to be a Christian, what do you have to confess? Your, your sins? Excuse me? That Christ is Lord. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. This word Lord here is master. Ruler. That's the idea of that word. And it finds its root, of course, in, in the Hebrew Old Testament, in the name Yahweh. Christ is God. As God, he is our master. He is our ruler. He is over us. And so to accept Jesus as Savior, right, in order to be saved from your sin, you must confess Christ as your Lord. So there cannot be these kinds of Christians that, well, I, I accept Jesus as my Savior, but later on, I'll, when I, when I be, become a disciple or when I become a more committed Christian, then I'll accept him as Lord. That, that's not biblical. That does not appear in the pages of Scripture. We can't have this duality of what it means to be a Christian. As we're going to see in a little bit, all Christians are called to be radical in their commitment to Christ. This isn't just something for the select few in the church. So this is what a disciple is not, right? What a disciple isn't, a disciple is not a casual Christian. A disciple is not someone who just has Jesus as Savior and not Lord, who hasn't submitted to the Lordship of Christ. That is not what a disciple is. What is a disciple? Point two. We're going to spend the rest of our time here, of course, learning what a disciple is. Now, before we get into the specifics, it must be said that one description of a disciple of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, is, is not adequate, is not enough to really fully describe uh, the biblical reality of a disciple, okay? So we can't just give it one word necessarily. We have to uh, describe different facets of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The Bible gives a number of essential markers of what constitutes, what, 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 what it means to be a true disciple of Christ, but if we were to give it one word, a disciple can simply be defined as a Christian. A Christian. In fact, this is what the disciples were called in the early church. Acts eleven twenty six. When they found him, they brought him to Antioch. And in, for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So you see... What's a disciple? It's a Christian. That's what it is. So what does it mean? So when, we look, when we're looking this morning at what are we trying to reproduce uh, when we are making disciples? 
If you are uh, discipling somebody or being discipled by somebody, what are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to accomplish a, a full-grown Christian. That's what we're trying to accomplish. That's what we're making. We're making Christians in the fullest sense of the word. Biblically, biblically understood, a Christian is the perfect synonym for a disciple. So this morning, what is a disciple? Answers the same question, what is a Christian? So this not only has um, uh, bearing on what you're trying to make as a discipler, but what, uh, but what you are, should be striving to be as a Christian. First of all, first of all, let's learn what a disciple is. John 10, 27, Christ says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So according to this verse, if we, if we substitute sheep with disciple, my disciples hear my voice. What, is, what does a disciple of Christ, a Christian, do according to this verse they follow they follow christ so first a disciple is a follower of christ plain and simple just like the disciples in the gospels right they left everything we see this in matthew 4 matthew 9 john 1 the original disciples literally followed Jesus around Galilee and, and the surrounding regions. They followed where he walked. All disciples of Christ have made a commitment to follow Jesus. That's what this is. When you're evangelizing, you are calling them to be a follower of Christ. Now, Christ is in here, right? Physically. We can't literally follow him. So what does this mean when Christ says, my sheep hear my voice, Christians hear my voice, disciples hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me? What does that mean to follow Christ? Is it, it must be more than just walking around with him physically. What do you, what do you, what do you think this means? Yeah. To obey his commandments, to, to follow his teachings. Yes. As we follow the teachings of Christ, uh, who are we looking like? We're looking like him, right? So to be a follower of Christ is to be one who is listening to his teachings obeying them, thereby imitating him. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. This is what it means to, to follow, to be an imitator. Paul could have said, follow me. It's the same idea. Christ, uh, Paul could have said, follow me just as I am following Christ. But he uses this terminology, be imitators 
of me, just as I also am of Christ. So to be a follower of, follower of Christ is to imitate him, to, to live like him, to be Christ-like. It involves a commitment. It involves a loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple. This is what we're trying to accomplish, okay? Second, second, we see in Luke 5. It says, but when Simon Peter saw that, saw that uh, he fell down at Jesus' feet. When he saw the miracle of Jesus, uh, when he uh, filled his nets, Simon Peter saw uh, the, the miracle of Christ, his power, and what, he did, what did he do? He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This goes back to what we were talking about before. Notice how he addresses Jesus. He addresses him as a Lord. When Peter saw that Jesus was more than just some rabbi, more than just some teacher or prophet, he fell down at Jesus' feet. Peter was overcome with the glory of Christ. You see, he saw him as God. He saw him as God. And in light of this understanding, notice Peter's response. He knew that he was not worthy to be in the presence of deity. So he, 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 fell, he falls down. He, he recoils in, in holy fear, in reverence, in awe. So there's this humility. So a, a, a disciple is one who understands that they are sinful and that Jesus is Lord. Okay? What does this produce? Later on in the Gospels, Jesus tells us with his own words. He says, if you love me, you, you will keep my commandments in John 14, 15. In verse 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. John 15, 14, a little bit later, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So, according to Jesus' own words, what does it mean to be a disciple? What's that? Loving Is loving him. And how do we know that we love him? Or, or not, not so much... How do we know that we love him? But how do we love him? Because remember, love is, is more of an action kind of a word in Scripture. So it, our loving Jesus is what? Obeying Jesus. Two sides of the same coin. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look how important this is. He's, this is the same conversation. That he's having with his disciples there in the upper room. Keep my commandments. 
it's not enough to have my commandments, but you have to keep them, right? In verse 21. Then you have to do. That's really what it means to keep. Right? To keep is to do what I commanded you. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what we're trying to, to produce in our discipleship ministry is men and women, boys and girls who obey the Lord Jesus Christ out of love. So a disciple is one who is submitted to the authority of Christ as their Lord and obeys them out of love. See how it's, it's difficult to pinpoint just one thing about a disciple. There's so, so many facets of what it truly means to be a Christian. Another one we see in Luke 9. Jesus, here it says, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? According to Jesus himself, the true disciple has forsaken all else in order to fully commit to following Christ. A disciple is one who is radically committed to Christ, to Jesus. So if you want to follow Jesus, you want to become a Christian, you have to deny yourself, right? That's first of all, deny yourself. I mentioned this yesterday at, at a baptism that uh, often in Hebrew literature, there's the same thing said two ways. Here we have Jesus doing this, doing this. He says he must deny himself, right? And take up his cross daily. What does it mean to follow Christ, to follow him, to be a disciple? It is to deny yourself. What does that mean, to deny yourself? It means to take up your cross daily. What was the cross used for in Jesus' time? Death. Crucifixion. Execution. It was an instrument of death. So he's basically telling us, if you want to follow me, you got to die. You have to die when you first come to me. You have to deny yourself and, and then not just that once die to self, but daily die to self. Kill the old you. Notice that he says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. You want to save your life? You want to, you want to save your skin? Lose it. Right? You want to, you want to uh, save yourself? You have to lose Yourself, as it were. For many, the, the cost is too high, right? That's, that's why 
Um, that's why the gospel is not popular. One reason, well, of course, it's be, the main reason is because it calls people out in their sin. People don't want to admit it. They hate the light and they love the darkness. But also, they understand that Christ's demand of them is to give up their old life. If we're preaching the gospel rightly. But this is what it means to be a Christian. And notice how, how Jesus knows that people won't see it as worth it. Because he asks this question, what, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He goes on to say, what will you give in return for your soul? So what really what it's talking about, your soul. If you really measure things out, what profit is there? If you forfeit your soul, reject Christ, and chase after the things of this world. Christ wants us to ask that question. Is it really worth it? Is all the stuff of this world really worth your soul? For all eternity, your eternal soul? It is not worth it. That's the implication. It's not worth it. And so as a Christian, as a disciple... We are to be those who are radically committed to Christ. And Paul says himself, the, the disciple, for the disciple to live is Christ in Philippians 1.21. This is radical. This is, this is devout, right? To live is Christ. My life is defined by Jesus Christ. That needs to be our aspiration as Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian. This isn't some second or third tier Christian. This is basic Christianity. Is your life is defined by Jesus and controlled by him. To live is Christ. You can only say to live is Christ if you've already died to self. See? For the disciple, Christ has preeminence in all things of their life. Notice, this is still the same point uh, that a disciple is radically committed to Christ. Luke 14, 25 and 26, Jesus says, or excuse me, it, it says here, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, he must, or excuse me, and does not hate his own father and mother and, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Notice what Jesus is doing here. Who is he talking to? Crowds. Not just any crowd. Large crowd. He's trying to weed people out. He's trying to uh, prune off the false disciples, the fake followers. Isn't that amazing? 
Jesus isn't interested in numbers, in large crowds of people. No, he wants committed people, committed men and women. And so he intentionally it says this with the intent, it seems, that some of those people in that large crowd, maybe even many, will just turn around and leave and go back home. This isn't for you. It's amazing. And what, what does he say? He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brother, sisters, and even yourself, cannot be my disciple. Now, does this mean that we mistreat our father and our mother and our wife and our children, our brothers and our sisters? Of course not. Of course not. This, what he's doing is, is, is making an argument of comparison. He's drawing a line between the kind of affections, the kind of love the kind of loyalty that you have for even family versus him or anybody else, including yourself, versus him. He's saying, I must be number one. Right? I must be number one in your life. You have to love me. You have to be loyal to me. You have to be with me. More than any of those things you do with your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. You have to care for me more than you care for yourself. Now notice. What, what's, if, you, if you love Christ... And are radically committed to him more than any other association in this world. Any other relationship in this world. Christ is number one. What what title can you claim? According to this verse. A disciple. What What is required to be a disciple? This radical Loyalty, this radical love. That's just to be a disciple of Christ. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he's saying, go and make these kinds of people. You see? When he, calls, when he's, when he relates to you and says, you are my disciple, if you claim to be a Christian, he is expecting this of you. Period. Period. And so we should push and exhort and rebuke those around us that are half-hearted Christians. We need to be willing to do what Jesus did and, and, and push towards this level of, of commitment and loyalty and love for Christ above all else. Even if it costs, even if it comes at the cost of them leaving. See? Christ was willing to do that. He was willing to say this to the crowds, even if they would just leave. So a, a disciple is radically committed to Christ. Last, 
a disciple. Well, let's, let's see what, it, what, what we have here in Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, in the context, this is this, of course, the those are, are, are the Christians, right? Right? So those whom God foreknew, those whom he, he elected before the dawn of time to be his people, to be followers of Christ, those whom he foreknew and predestined to become saved and place their faith in Christ, because of the powerful work of regeneration of the Spirit in their life. Those people, those people who, whom God chose ahead of time to save, are also, are also the ones predestined for what? Yeah. To be conformed to the image of his son. So the context tells us that for new, uh, we could say unto salvation. So those whom he foreknew unto salvation, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Or we could say it another way. Uh, there we go. Those whom he foreknew to become disciples. Those whom God foreknew or predestined to become disciples are the same ones whom he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his son. To be like Christ. Did God save you, Christian? Do you believe that he saved you from your sin and changed you? And you are a Christian? Do you bear that name? God predestined that. That you would place your faith in him. But he also predestined that you wouldn't stay the same. See? It was in God's eternal plan that you would become like Christ. So a disciple is one who is in constant growth in Christ likeness. A disciple is someone who is in constant growth. In Christ's likeness. Those who claim to be disciples of Christ must understand that it is God's will that they be conformed to the image of his son. This is the plan, Christian. This is the plan. There's so many passages that we can go to about this. But one that strikes me, pierces my heart, 
is, is in 1 John 1, 9. Because it connects. Oh, we could go to Titus 2 where it says that God, um, where the, the, the grace of God appeared to bring salvation and to teach. So as much as, as Christ came to, to um, purchase our salvation, he also came to teach us how to live. God sees it as on on the same plane, on the same level of importance or the same same level of of purpose in His sending His Son. He didn't just send His Son to save you from your sins, but He sent His Son to to teach you how to live. It's both. And so we see where people say, well, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus for my salvation. I believe that he came to save me from my sins. But they, they reject the, teach, the clear teachings of Scripture that he also came to teach you how to live and to be your Lord and Master. See, they divide Scripture. They tear verses in half. Like this verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. People usually just quote that. Right? If you confess, if I confess my sin, all I gotta do is just confess it. And he's faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins. And that's glorious truth, right? I mean, that's something to take to the bank. I love that assurance, that promise. Just confess your sin. And and he's faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins. And all that forgiveness means to cast it aside, to, to cast it into the depths of the sea. God is faithful to do that, Christian. But he won't just do that. Look. And, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, God is faithful and he is righteous. And he is faithful and righteous so much so that if you would just confess your sins, he will, one, forgive your sins. Right? His forgiveness of you displays his faithfulness and his righteousness. But also, he cleanses us from unrighteousness. He cleanses us from sin, from the practice of sin. That displays his faithfulness and his righteousness as well. So we can't tear verses in half, you see. We can't tear the sentences of God in half. We have to understand that if God is really faithful, if God is really righteous, not only will He forgive you if you've confessed your sins, but He will also be in the regular daily practice of purifying you, of making you like His Son, conforming you to the image of Jesus. Now this, I, I want to I drive this a, a little bit further in kind of application for us. 
we need to be careful to affirm the claims of somebody to be a Christian who, uh, who adhere to or, or um, claim the forgiveness of sins, but we never see this cleansing of unrighteousness. See what I'm saying? If there is somebody that we know that we never see a change, we never see uh, any kind of victory. I understand that people grow at different rates. God deals with his children at different times in different ways. And some people take a, a while to have final victory over a sin or, or to have uh, visible, as it were, victory over sins, visible growth spiritually. But there must be some measure of growth, some measure of cleansing in the life of the Christian. Because if that person says, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and they never grow, they never have victory over sin, they, they never are interested, really, truly, in being cleansed from their unrighteousness. They just want the forgiveness of God. And if we go on affirming their faith, if we go on just saying, oh, yeah, you're, I'm, I'm praying for you, you're a Christian, um, and we, but we don't challenge their, their claim to faith, if we never do that, we are robbing God of his glory. Because what we're saying is God is faithful and righteous to forgive you, but he's not faithful and righteous to cleanse you. See, we're attacking the character of God. If he is faithful and righteous to forgive, he will be faithful and righteous to cleanse his people. We can't have one without the other. Both are tied to the character and the nature of God himself. And so just, I just implore you, don't just assume because somebody claims faith. Don't just assume that they're Christian. Don't just, uh, don't just um, ignore the sin in their life and say, well, you know, I, I, know, I know they're saved just because they're my children or because I have fond feelings for them or because they're my spouse or because I, I just know they're saved. And you have no basis other than their claim to the forgiveness of God. But in their life, we see no cleansing. You cannot do that. Because what you're doing is you're upholding their character rather than the character of God. You're being more loyal to them and their claim than you are to God and God's claim of saying, if they're mine, I will tie my faithfulness and my, my righteousness to their progressive sanctification. We, we must push and strive for this kind of Christian. We must not compromise. This is what Jesus means when he says, go therefore and make disciples. A disciple is simply a Christian. There's no second level for a Christian to become a disciple. 
because a Christian is a disciple. On the flip side, there is no biblical category for someone to be a disciple without committing to be a Christian. Because a disciple is a Christian. A disciple, a Christian, is a follower of Christ, submitted to Jesus as Lord, radically committed to Him, and growing in Christ-likeness. That is a disciple. That is a Christian. And may we be those who are living this out so that those that we are discipling have something to follow. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask uh, for your help, Lord. We, we know that it is a weighty responsibility to disciple somebody, to have influence in their life, Lord, to give them a model of what it means to be a true follower of Christ. But Lord, we, we, we know that we're not going to do this perfectly, It's not about perfection, Lord. You don't expect that. Only Christ is perfect. This must be the direction of our life. Lord, you understand that. That's why you tell us, when you sin, confess. And I'll be faithful and righteous to forgive. You expect us, as it were. You know we're going to sin. You know we're going to fail. But yet, Lord, at the same time, we are confident Lord, that as you forgive, you will cleanse us and you will give us more and more victory and growth in our life, Lord. We want to be like Christ. We want to be like him. He is lovely. He is perfect. He, he is wonderful. We want to be like him, Lord. So, so change us and help us to be that instrument of change in the lives of our disciples and, and those around us here at Redeemer Bible Church, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take a break. We're starting service at 1030 now, right? So it uh, just gives us some time to reset and to, you know, if we had coffee in the back, we would get some coffee, but that's, that'll come in time. So you can mingle, you can do whatever you need to do. We'll be back here at 1030. All right.